Listening to the Pre-Med Perspectives Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Pre-Med Perspectives. I'm Lassia and today I'm here with a really special guest. Her name is Nidhi Ja. Nidhi reached out to me on Instagram and we kind of chatted it up about how she's a student athlete, very, very involved in Greek life and had a really, really great uh, second time MCAT experience. So today I'm really interested in sitting down with a fellow pre-med to discuss how she handles all of these different types of commitments. And there are different commitments than most pre-meds have and talk about how she was able to kind of block out these all these commitments she has and focus on the MCAT to study for it uh, both times and having a really, really successful testing experience. So Nidhi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we talked about a little bit about who you are, but um, I know you are a third year student at Case Western. Um, talk, tell us a little bit about how you kind of decided on Case and decided to study what you're studying right now. Yeah, so basically when I was going through the college recruiting process to play D3 tennis, I like reached out to the coach and I really liked her. And then through that, I also got to learn more about the school. I think I visited like three separate times, got to meet with the team. I even like played a couple games of tennis with the team. And then over there, they were talking about how Case is really unique because you can be a student athlete and still do like really tough majors like biomedical engineering, pre-med, and actually that majority of the team was pre-med. And that really stood out to me because that's like not very common for many D3 schools. And then on top of that, it was just such a great campus. We're near three hospitals and there's just so much great experience that you can get as a pre-med here. So I thought that like this would be the best place for me to kind of continue my studies and also get to play tennis and still have a great time. Dang, you're really getting the best of both worlds there with tennis and all the medically uh, related stuff you are really interested in. And I have so much respect for student athletes because first and foremost, you guys have so many practices you need to go to, which is a huge, uh, a huge amount of time you need to spend. And second of all, I feel like forget the time you spend there, but the hardest part is being mentally and physically exhausted um, from conditioning and playing and not being able to focus on your actual schoolwork. So how do you find that you balance, you know, this rigorous schedule you have uh, with this rigorous uh, sport that you play? Honestly, just making a Google calendar and making sure that I keep it updated because sometimes practices can change and, you know, sometimes you have to wake up really early in the morning and have to constantly keep making sure that you're staying organized. That's like the biggest thing for me. Also, like when we get our schedule, I immediately put everything into my calendar and we'll be like, okay, these are times you can like study and these are times that you can like take a nap. And these are like the three hours that I get to spend like with my friends or alone. And I try to like make sure that I balance that so that I don't go like crazy with just like tennis and school because I feel like that can be very mentally draining so making sure to like adequately spend time with my friends and just getting enough sleep is like really important for me 
Definitely. I think what you're trying to say here is make a routine and stick to it because otherwise when you have so many different responsibilities and places you need to be, it, it, it's very difficult. That's awesome. So I know another thing you're really uh, involved in on campus is sorority, uh, Greek life, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me a little bit about uh, your involvement in that and how you kind of decided to take it a step further. Honestly, I started out as like that very general Greek member. I rushed, um, I think the spring semester of my freshman year and I really loved my chapter. I'm an Alpha Chi Omega. And then through that, everybody was like, oh, you know, you should really run for exec. Like you do great on exec. And I was like, no, maybe not. I don't know if I could like fit that role. I don't know if I'm like a leader yet. Also, I had a really, really bad fear of public speaking. Like I would speak in front of people and start crying because it was so scary for me. But I was like, no, you know, they have faith in me. Like I should have faith in myself. And I like ran for a position in my chapter and then I ended up getting it. And then this past year, my president was like, oh, you should run for Panhellenic Council. I think you're really organized and you do a great job with it. And I was like, kind of stressed out about that because I was like oh I don't know how I could do that with COVID but then I remembered like oh you know my chapter had faith in me last time and they all said I did a great job so if my president has faith in me this time I should definitely go for it and like through just people encouraging me to run for things that's how I kind of got my position as like vice president of administration and Panhellenic council and also in my own chapter and it's just really cool to be a part of like um, helping the greater Greek community improve because we've done a lot of changes regarding like sexual assault, like awareness and also like diversity, equity and inclusion. Like I think this year, every chapter is required to do programming regarding diversity, equity and inclusion. And that's something we've made mandatory for them to pass standards and just things like that where I'm like really glad that I can see the impact that I've made once my term ends. So I'm really excited. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think Greek life, uh, someone who's a part of Greek life as well, it's always great to be something, uh, a part of something that's greater than yourself. And it's a great support system to just kind of let loose once in a while because being in school can get really stressful. And, you know, I laugh a little bit say, hearing that you were so scared of public speaking because talking to you right now, I think you're a great, um, eloquent, thoughtful speaker. But just to give a little bit of clarification to our listeners that aren't really familiar with Greek life, I know a lot of terms are thrown out there. So basically Greek life uh, comprises of sororities and there's whatever um, different sororities on your campus. And each of them have their own community within them. And e each of them have their own kind of executive committees within them but kind of what umbrellas all of them is what we call panhellenic and panhellenic is kind of in charge of uh, monitoring the community as a whole so all of the chapters together so they're the people who uh, like she said put together these standards they're the ones who kind of monitor life in all sororities and they're the ones who uh, kind of run the entirety of rush uh, making sure everyone gets placed in uh, the chapter and making sure that happens as smooth as possible so that's awesome that you're able to get involved with something so unique. And um, I have a lot of respect for people who are kind of behind the scenes of sorority and uh, fraternity Greek life, because it is definitely a huge, difficult uh, time commitment. 
It is definitely like a second job. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I don't do school anymore. I just do Greek life. <laughs> because yeah, no, I, I think before joining, um, I didn't really understand everything that goes behind it, but it is a tremendous uh, responsibility to be a part of any sort of Greek life position, let alone the entire Panhellenic community. Uh, there are so many legal reasons um, and so many moral and social reasons that it can get very, very stressful and they feel that it takes someone really poised, really respectful, and just really sociable to be able to go to a big group of women and be like, hey, um, we all want to, you know, have a good time, but there are some rules that we need to follow, and I know that can be really difficult, and sometimes it get, you can get yourself into awkward situations, but I'm sure you're managing it really, really well. Thank you. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, kind of taking a step away from the big, big commitments you have, I know we haven't talked about a lot of them, but I know the MCAT kind of requires a lot of focus to study from it. And as such a busy person, how did you step away from those commitments and kind of isolate to study for the MCAT? Yeah, so what I did, and I planned this out like a lot, like my freshman year, because I was very keen on taking the MCAT early and like making sure that I had enough time to study for it. So I basically planned it out that I would finish all my pre-med requirements by the end of my sophomore year. And that required like taking some summer classes, just making sure that I was staying on track. And then I basically just spent my entire summer last year just grinding for the MCAT. Like I was at home. I didn't really have, I don't really have many friends back at home, only like one or two people from high school. So that made it really easy because I wasn't constantly like pressured to go like hang out with people or like to constantly spend time with other people. So that was nice kind of having a compartmentalized area where I could just study. And I didn't really have many other commitments over the summer either. So I was basically just waking up, studying for the MCAT, going to bed or like waking up studying for the MCAT and like maybe calling my college friends on Zoom for a bit and then like going to bed. But that helped so much because also my parents were really supportive about the whole thing. So they would be like super quiet. If I was taking like a practice test, they tell my dog to like stop barking and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just really nice to be in that supportive environment because you always feel like, you're going to have those down days where you're feeling like, oh, like I'm not getting enough done. My score isn't improving enough. Like, oh, I just don't feel that great about it. I'm burnt out. And like to have a very strong support system around you is so important because like those are the people that are going to lift you up and be like, no, you're working so hard for this. This is like your time to shine. You Everything you've been doing in college has been basically to some degree to prepare to prepare for this test and it's going to work out because if you could pass those classes there's no reason you can't pass like a standardized test and obviously the MCAT's way harder than any like general standardized test but at the end of the day like we know this information we've learned it we studied it inside and out for our exams and just having someone remind you of that is really nice during like a stressful time like that. Definitely. I think there's a couple points in here that Nithi pointed out that kind of want to emphasize. So the first point she said was she really intentionally planned out her um, courses so that she would be finished with all of the MCAT uh, pre-med requirements before her junior year or at the end of her sophomore year. And this is something that a lot of people, I think, fail to realize that if you want to I don't know, not take a gap year or take a gap year, whatever the case might be, you need to plan your MCAT 
around when you're applying to med school and knowing that timeline and knowing what needs to be finished before the MCAT is super important. And that's something you kind of need to be on starting day one of your undergraduate experience. So you get all of that stuff done because it can be tremendously stressful trying to self-study um, for like three different subjects really. So making sure you've seen all the material before taking or practicing for the MCAT is super important uh, in my opinion. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. And the second point I really love that you hit on, I'm a super family person too. So I'm really glad that you had a family support system. I know I lean on my family support system a lot, but I think one of the beauties of being at home versus being at college is your family literally cooks for you, helps cleans for you. You don't have that added pressure of taking care of yourself. And I think that's tremendously helpful to not have that pressure on you when you're studying for one of arguably the most important exams of your life. So I know you took the MCAT once. You did good, but you thought you could do better, but you did great, like excellent the second time you took it um, and you're really happy with your score improvement. So I want to talk a little bit about how you kind of took a step back, reflected, and you know, made the changes where you needed to, to get that tremendous score jump? Yeah. So I basically, when I got my score back, I was like fine with it, but I wasn't the happiest with it. So I kind of took the next month to just reflect and be like, okay, like, what did I do wrong? Was I like very nervous? I remember I hadn't even like slept well the night before. Like, I think I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was like just freaking out the entire morning. And for context, like my test was at 12, 15 p.m. So like that window of eight hours of just thinking about your test is just not <laughs> good for your mentality. So I think like that also played a role in it. So I basically was like, okay, I'm gonna take this month, enjoy it with my friends, really, you know, have a good time with them because I haven't seen them since the pandemic began basically so it's been like four or five months and then starting in October I'm going to go on like a straight content grind until I get home so October until the end of November I made my own Anki decks through like the Kaplan books that I had gotten and I literally would just type out paragraphs because the MCAT has like a paragraph like a like a paragraph format basically you read a passage and then you answer a couple questions about it so I made it like that where I had like just paragraphs on my Anki flashcards and then I would each keyword I would put as like a flashcard so every time I had to like use the context to like answer the card but then also like towards the end of it it got to the point where I could just see the word and like see a couple context clues and I'd be like oh I know this flashcard immediately and so that was one big difference that I did. And then the second thing was when I got home in November, it was just straight practice tests. Like I did three practice tests a week. I took them, I took the day off. So it'd be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, taking a test, Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, I would be reviewing those tests in the evening. And then I would also be doing like a section of cars during Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, which is like the reading and comprehension section. And that really helped because you're gonna get passages that you don't know anything about. You're gonna get content that you probably not seen before, don't even remember because it's a high pressure situation, but taking so many different tests from different test companies and just being ready for like whatever comes at you was like a big step up in my confidence because towards the end of my preparation, I was like, honestly, nothing can get worse than the Princeton review. So that if I'm going to keep that in mind, if I've gotten through a Princeton review MCAT, I think I can get through the real one. Wow. You know, I, after hearing 
everything you did to change your routine after your first MCAT for your second MCAT, I am not surprised that your score shot up like that. Just for reference for our listeners, most people take maybe three to seven tests before within a couple of months before taking the MCAT. Each MCAT test is about seven to eight hours. So our girl here was taking about 24 hours of practice tests every week. That's tremendous. And for uh, people who aren't familiar with Anki, Anki is awesome. I know a lot of uh, medical students also use it for step one, step two, Uh, but it's basically a, it looks a little wonky, but there's a lot of videos on YouTube that explain it. It's a flashcard system, but they deliver the flashcards to you on a time interval based on how well you know the card. So it's basically this proven method to using flashcards that helps you remember it way better than a traditional Quizlet or traditional paper flashcards. So that's awesome that, you know, you were able to grind the way you did. I can't imagine how much mental stamina that took. How did you do all that plus school plus your responsibilities? Honestly, I, when I got my score back and I realized that I had to retake the test in January, I was like, um, sorry, my roommate's making a smoothie right now. But um, so I realized that um, I had to drop a couple classes. I think I was at like 17 credits. And then I was like, no, I can't do that because there's just no way that's possible while studying for this test. And because I was ahead on like all my major requirements, Um, I decided to drop a class and go down to 14 credits. And then out of all that, I got really lucky with this, but all of my classes were actually asynchronous except for like one. So I didn't have class like three to four times of three to four days of the week. So those three to four days, I was like just studying for the MCAT because I didn't have class to attend. And then when a test would come, I would just like take that week to watch the lectures. And then it turned out that a lot of those classes I actually had were like covering MCAT material. So like one of the classes I was taking was like physiological psychology. And that's like, oh, like more about the brain and the different regions in the brain and how they affect you psychologically and like stuff like that. So that was really helpful because then when I went to my psych sections, I was like, oh, I've learned this in class. Oh, this is something I know in class. And then like the other class I took was like psychology of learning. And that was also on the MCAT. So just things like that really like I got really lucky with things like that so that was nice definitely I think you really found the best of both worlds and school plus MCAT and you just found the silver lining within it right and I think it's really important for everyone to realize that whenever you really want something you sometimes do most of the time do have to make sacrifices in your case it was you know dropping a class it was sticking to this schedule and it ended up working out for you. It, it, I think a lot of people are under the impression they want to have their cake and eat it too, which some people can do. But I know for the majority of people, they really do need to cut down on some things, give up some things in order to pursue certain things. So I am so, so happy that everything worked out for you and that you are part of so many communities that you enjoy. And I wish you the best of luck in this upcoming application cycle. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you so much for your time, Nidhi, and coming on the podcast today. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Uh, I'll catch you guys next Friday. Bye, guys.